As we approach Easter, I thought I would move away from the book of Isaiah and uh, spend a few weeks getting our hearts and minds directed towards Easter. And the hardest thing is always figuring out what to preach. You pray, you ask, you look. And, and I thought, well, Easter is obviously the resurrection. The week before is either Palm Sunday or it's talking about the suffering, the crucifixion. I, I, I tend to do more about the cross because otherwise we go from Palm Sunday to Easter and we miss everything in between. And I don't like to do that. And, and I thought, well, what's before that? And I thought, well, what did Jesus do leading up to the resurrection? And the answer is he told them what was going to happen. And what we find is that he was really good at telling them what was going to happen. Jesus was not taken by surprise at all, but the, the disciples were taken by complete surprise. So that when he rose, they didn't understand what was going on. And uh, it's really hard to understand what's going on. I might have told this story before, but when Lorraine was a little bit littler, you know, kids are so much fun because they're so, they're suckers. <laughs> yeah, and he said, I, I see sucker. Yeah, I, Pat, that is a pastoral gift, by the way. You know, some people see auras. Some people see uh, whatever. I see the name sucker. It glows on some of you. And, and I am drawn to it. <laughs> But anyway, so I told Lorraine one day, we're sitting at the dinner table. I said, Lorraine, I'm going to tell you to look over there. And you're going to look over there, and I'm going to steal some food off your plate. And, and then I said, Lorraine, look over there. And she looked over there, and I stole the food off her plate. And she came back, and she went, where's my food? <laughs> and you go, wait a minute, I don't get it. What, that's the, it's because there's so much fun. It's, it's like, you, know, you ever hear the phrase, stealing candy from a baby? <laughs> right? Guess what, guess what your pastor does. <laughs> uh, the surprise isn't what happened, but the lack of preparedness for what happened. That's what we find when we start looking at the disciples and their preparation for uh, Easter, for the, the crucifixion, and for the resurrection. We are going to look today at Jesus' unmistakably clear teaching, at the disciples' baffled response, and at a warning to us not to be like the disciples. So first of all, unmistakably clear teaching. We're going to start with this passage in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, it follows what we call the Great Confession. Peter, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Uh, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then immediately after that, uh, Jesus starts telling them that he's going to die. Um, from that time on, verse 21 of chapter 16, from that time, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and to be killed and to be raised up on the third day. So he tells them all those things. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me, for you are not setting your mind on God's purposes, but men's. Okay? So we have this thing. So the setting, Peter has just declared, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ, you know, take the word Messiah. Christ is the, the Jewish or the Greek word. Messiah is the Jewish word. You are the Messiah, the one God has anointed, the one God is sending. He probably didn't understand God's son. Messiah was God's son at this point. But, you, uh, but then he says, you are the son of the living God. So he makes it even, I mean, Messiah didn't de de demand that, but he says it. The son of the living God. And then very next he says, no, Lord. <laughs> and you go, okay, Peter, what part of this didn't you get? 
And we find Jesus' very clear and specific teaching. First, he says, I will go to Jerusalem, or we will go to Jerusalem. It's like, okay, we've done that before. We're going to Jerusalem. I will suffer many things. Well, that doesn't sound like fun. Okay, this suffering will be at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and scribes. No surprise there. They have opposed Jesus all along through this whole time. And then he would be killed. And at this point, the disciples start to disconnect his words from reality. Because killed means killed, right? They, they, they understand going to Jerusalem. Going to Jerusalem means going to Jerusalem. Suffering a lot of things means suffering a lot of things. The hands of the elders, scribes, and, chief, and priests, that means at the hands of the elders, prides, pride, scribes, and priests. But that killed part has got to mean something else. Whatever it means, it's not killed. And because the killed doesn't mean killed, this rise again on the third day means something else also. And, and here's the thing is, is Jesus did not stumble in his speech. I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure Jesus did not stumble in his speech. He did not stutter. He did not mince words and try to make it more acceptable. You know how you try to make something sound so nice that your whole meaning gets lost? <laughs> and before long, people don't know what you're saying, and so you get clarifying questions. That's, why I, that's one of the reasons why I am as blunt as I am, because I want to be understood. Jesus was very clear. Uh, he, was, he, was, he was very clear. He did not sugarcoat his words. He was not vague. He spoke very plainly what was going to happen. And with predictable understanding, Peter rebuked him. And, and when I say predictable, I'm saying because it makes sense that Peter would rebuke him. If I told you, hey guys, I'm going to go to Spokane, they're going to arrest me and throw me in jail, you might say, well then don't go to Spokane, dummy. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's kind of like, kind of, it's pretty obvious, don't do that if that's what's going to happen. And Peter says, no, God forbid, this will never happen. And what Peter's not saying it because he's opposing Jesus. In his mind, he's not opposing Jesus. In his mind, he's supporting Jesus. No, this won't happen to you. We won't let this happen. It, it's, not going to, it's not going to be what takes place in your life. He's, he's speaking as a friend. He's speaking as a supporter. He's speaking as someone who just cannot imagine letting that happen. So he says, no, God forbid, this will never happen. And Jesus' response to Peter is so strong. He says, get thee behind, King James, get thee behind me, Satan. And, and what's he doing? You know, we're, we're all struck with the same question. Uh, well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, why is Jesus so strong? Well, I think the... Well, I've actually, I've, you know, I'm, I am getting ahead of myself. I'll come back to that. Okay. Uh, so Peter says that. And, and we are all struck with the same question looking at the disciples' responses. What part of this don't you get? Okay. Uh, his words are so clear... He is so plain. He is so specific. Why didn't they understand what was happening when, a short time later, Jesus was arrested and was crucified and did rise? I mean, if Jesus, if, if Jesus of all people tells you, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise on the third day, and then Jesus is arrested and then he's crucified, what are you doing on the third day? Right? Because uh, I'm camping out. You know? It's like... It's like uh, Anybody, uh, who's got coffee? Anybody bringing donuts? We're talking about sunrise service two weeks from today, right? We're going to 7 o'clock, be down at the city park. We've already got it organized. Someone's bringing coffee, hot chocolate, donuts, okay? Uh, there we, they'll, they'll be there because we're going to be sitting at the tomb watching, 
<laughs> well, maybe we won't be quite like that. But we're planning, you know, we're going to be, they weren't. They weren't. In fact, they were defeated at that point. They did not expect it to happen. What is going on? And, and, and you think that's strange enough. I'm going to add to your confusion by building the case because I want to tell you something. In, merely, in only the Gospel of Matthew, right? I was comparing the Gospels to see and, and look at finding a lot of comparison passages and saying, well, this one is this one, this one is this one. But, but uh, in only the Gospel of Matthew, in addition to Matthew 16.21, Right where he says, he says in Matthew 16, 16, 21 and 22, or 21, uh, it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. In addition to that, there are nine more times in the Gospel of Matthew only that Jesus tells him. Some of them are more clear. Some of them are less obvious. In fact, we're going to actually go backwards to the first one. Matthew chapter 12 is, is the first. And it's not as obvious. And this is the least obvious of the bunch. Matthew 12, verse 40. Uh, the Pharisees are demanding a sign from him, right? And Jesus gives them the only sign he says, I'm going to give you. Uh, you want a sign? Here's your sign. Matthew 12, verse 40. For just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea monster for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Now that is not abundantly clear, but it certainly would cause you to scratch your head. What is, what is he saying here? Three days and three nights. This could use some clarification. If that was the only thing they had, I'm kind of on the disciples' side. That was pretty vague. It's hard to understand. But let's move forward to Matthew chapter 17. So Matthew 16 was where Jesus started telling them these things with greater clarity. In Matthew 17, verses 9 through 12, okay, Jesus has been on the mount. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. He goes up on the mountain. He takes Peter, James, and John along with him. They are his, his, his cadre, his, his inner circle. Uh, and they go up the mountain with him. And they, while they're there, they fall asleep, they wake up, and there's Jesus speaking to Moses and Elijah, and, and Jesus is glowing, and, and they all go, wow, this is cool. And, and uh, Peter says, let's build three, three tabernacles, one for all three of you. Moses and Elijah are gone by this time. The voice of God comes down and says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And they're on their way down the mountain after all this, and P Jesus says to the disciples, don't tell anybody about this, right? So 17, verse 9. When they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Now, that is, that is a really interesting thing for him to say. He could have said that so many different ways. You know, wait a month. <laughs> don't tell anybody for a month. Uh, and, and after the month is gone, you can do that. But instead, he says, don't tell anyone until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And, and he says it in a way that's kind of conversational, like, you know, we, we've got our plans as we're looking ahead. We've got, you know, we've got these things marked out on the calendar after this one. Right? Then we'll go and do X, Y, Z. And it's just, it's, it's, he, Jesus is, it's like Jesus is assuming they understand the timeline because he's told them. And he's told them, I'm going to be, gonna go to, we're going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be uh, killed, I'm going to rise on the third day. And so he's telling them, don't, don't tell anybody about this until after I've risen from the dead. As if they understand what's going on. Because they should understand what's going on because they've been told, right? But he just says it. And then Matthew 17, 22 to 23, we're just a few verses farther down, we're in the same chapter, but here he is teaching very clearly. 
And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be handed over to men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. It's really interesting because it says that they were deeply grieved. They must be believing it. But he's, te- he's just walking with the disciples, and he's teaching them. Now, here's the thing is we have this one little phrase here that, that's written down and takes up you know, about four lines on my half page that I have for the Bible, right? And, and, the, and the whole thing fits there. I'm sure the conversation took more than that. Right? The real-life conversation was, was more words, more elaborate, that kind of thing. We have, you know, in the Bible, we don't have full-blown-out conversations. If you've ever tried to transcribe a conversation, there's a lot of words in a conversation. Right? And, and so you, you don't do it that way. And so we have him teaching with the disciples, and he's very clear. The Son of Man is going to be handed over to men. They will kill him. He will be raised the third day, and they were deeply grieved. So they got into, understood enough that they're deeply grieved. But let's keep going. Okay, we're going to skip to chapter 20 now. By the way, that was number, we had number one was, was uh, uh, not counting Matthew 16, 20, uh, 20, our 21, our starting one. Matthew 12, 40. Number two was Matthew 17, 9 to 12. Number three, Matthew 17, 20 to 23. Number four, on the way to Jerusalem. So they're on the way to Jerusalem, right? This is, this, the, okay, where, where, where did he say they were going to go? Jerusalem. Where are they on their way to? Jerusalem. And he has this conversation with them. And and we have verse 17. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves, and on the road he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and flog and crucify. And on the third day, he will be raised up. So he's been saying, when we, uh, he's, the Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem, and these things are going to happen. And now he says, we're on our way to Jerusalem, and these things are happening. It's like, am I speaking slowly enough for you? you know? it, it's, uh, because it, it's like, this is unmistakable. When I say unmistakably clear... Jesus was unmistakably clear. This is, it, you, you, can't, you can't do, you know, you need to repeat things to, to, to get them sunk in well, right? To, it, it, <laughs> I'm going to tell all my kids at school because, of course, Eli's here. <laughs> Eli. He might be one of these kids. On the board, at school, on, behind me, where I sit at my desk, it's written down what the next Bible verse they have to memorize is and when it's due. And for the middle schoolers, what page in their book it's found on. And about a week and a half, it's up there for two weeks before the verse is due. They're due every two weeks. And it's, so it's up there for two weeks. And then after a few days, I start saying things like, remember that verse is coming due. And then... Uh, the Monday before the verse, I say, Friday, you're going to say the verse. And on Wednesday, because we have three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Wednesday, I say, nobody forget Friday is the Bible verse. Guess what question I am guaranteed to hear on Friday when they walk in. Is there a Bible verse today? <laughs> it's like, okay, now I understand the disciples. <laughs> they were all in middle school. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. No. <laughs> These are the disciples. We're on our way to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. I mean, and he's not saying it with a smile on his face. 
He's making sure they know. The, the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and flog and crucify. And on the third day, he will be raised up. That was number four. Number five, same chapter, verse 28. This is one of the more subtle ones. Just as the Son did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we have the statement about giving his life, and we have a purpose statement to, as a ransom for many. So number five is one of the less clear ones. But then we go to Matthew 21, 38 and 39. And Jesus, this, is, this one is wrapped up in, as part of a parable. And he is explaining to people what God is doing. Right? And he's talking about, you know, there was a, land, a vine owner, vineyard owner. He planted a vineyard. He rented it out to different people. And he sent his servants to collect the, the rent or the, the, the process, process, proceeds. And they beat them. They sent them out. They did these different things. And finally, verse 37, but afterward he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the vineyard vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take possession of his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? And, and the, the chief priests and, and elders understood that he was talking about them, but, but somehow somebody seemed to misunderstand. They did not seem to understand what it was saying when it talked about him, who he was in this part, but he told them again uh, in that one. That was number six of the nine. Matthew 26, 1 to 2. This one is, is, this one is just like, <sighs> ready for this? Matthew 26, 1 and 2. When Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days... The Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. So two days before, he says, in two days, this is happening. Two days later, do you not say, oh yeah, he said that two days ago? Right? Two days. Can you not remember for two days? He's been telling them and telling them and telling them. And he, he, when you're heading up to Jerusalem, he says, now we're going up to Jerusalem, and it's happening. And this time he says, in two days, it's happening. These guys are surprised, and they don't understand. Matthew 26, 26 to 28. If they did not understand, did the Lord's Supper make any sense to them? Because it's, he's talking about, this body is my bread, this bread is my body, this blood, this wine is my, this wine is my blood. Matthew 26, starting at verse 26. And now while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when, they, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it with you new in my Father's kingdom. And this is, this is, this is this, the Last Supper. This is Thursday evening. The next thing they do is go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he is arrested and he is taken, and in that, that morning he is crucified. Everything he said was going to happen happens. And he's, he's telling them, this is my body, this is my blood, poured out for you. And finally, chapter 26, or same chapter, verses 31 and 32. 
Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And so we have on their way to the garden. After the Last Supper, walking to the garden, he says, After I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Nine times in addition to the 1621, so ten times, ten times in just the Gospel of Matthew, where we can read about him telling them. And we, know, we, we can take that as an absolute minimum of the times he told them. Because it is entirely possible, maybe likely, that he told them other times that aren't written down. Because not everything is written down. John said if everything was written, you could, the, books, the world couldn't contain the books that would be written. So what can we say about Jesus' teaching on this subject? First, that he was very vague. He should have spoken more clearly, right? <laughs> he was unmistakably clear. It is hard to imagine how the disciples did not understand what he was saying. So let's move on from that to understand the disciples, see if we can understand them a little bit. And so of those ten, there are four of them that show the disciples' responses to what he said. So, so this is where I was getting ahead of myself and I was trying to, to, to slow myself down, is, is uh, the other, other six don't show the disciples' response to what Jesus said, but these four we're going to look at do. And we know the message didn't sink in, and, and if we look for the reasons why they didn't sink in, we might learn something from that. So the first one, that Matthew 16, 21, of course, we all, all know where that's going. Peter rebukes Jesus. No, you're wrong, Jesus. Can't be. Okay? Uh, so once again, from that time on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and to be killed and to be raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block to me. Peter's response is, is very understandable from an emotion, emotional point of view. He rebuked Jesus. I don't like this. This should not happen. Right? I'm, I'm going to... I'm, I'm, you just, I, I don't know how to compare it, you know. I'm going to get in my car and go and I'm going to cause a wreck. <laughs> no, you idiot, don't do that. Uh, that's wrong, don't do it. Don't let that happen. Uh, and, and Peter's response is understandable. And he's, I, I really, you know what I, the, what, you know what Peter did really right in this passage? Is he pulled Jesus aside. <laughs> At least he didn't do this in front of everybody. Not that it protected him because we all know. <laughs> but, but somehow... What's really interesting, listen to this. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, uh, it says, well, it doesn't, it's not in quotes, it's not in red, but um, it says he, he said it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem to suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and to be raised on the third day. And you realize you don't get to this one unless you go through these ones, Right? You don't get to the rising on the third day unless you go through the being handed over and arrested and beaten and killed, right? In order, and Peter, he focuses on those first four, and he doesn't focus on the fifth. But if he stops the first four, he stops the fifth as well. And, and, and he's, 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 not, he's not understanding this. He says, he says uh, Lord, no way. And Jesus' response to Peter is strong. He says, get behind me, Satan. And Peter it was, had good intentions. I mean, which one of us, if we, could, if we could prevent Jesus' suffering, wouldn't do it? If we could, but we can't. 
and, and we shouldn't because sometimes things must be done. Sometimes you do things knowing there's going to be a price. And, and, and so having good intentions, he did not see that his good intentions were supporting G Satan's will, not Christ's, not God's. Uh, and he was wrong, and he was a stumbling block. And I want to tell you something about that stumbling block is that Peter was making it harder for Jesus to do what he needed to do. Uh, that, that's a real thing. He didn't say, Peter, you're trying to be a stumbling block. He said, Peter, you are a stumbling block. Do you think Peter didn't tug on Jesus' heart? Do you think Jesus didn't see Peter's concern for him and wanting to protect him from that? Jesus saw that. Jesus knew Peter wanted to pre prevent. And, and guess what? Jesus, as much as he was God, was human. His temptations were real. Whether or not Jesus could have given in to those temptations doesn't mean the temptations weren't real. The stronger you are, the greater your temptations can be, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, for no temptation has seized you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation will provide a means of escape so that you can stand up under it. And he says, you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear. So if you can bear more temptation than me, you might be tempted more strongly than me. Get that? You, you can be tempted more than me because you're stronger than me. Well, guess who was able to resist temptation the most? doesn't mean his temptation wasn't real because he didn't give in to it. His temptation was greater. And Peter is adding to Jesus' temptation. He's making it harder for Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block. You're making it harder for me. <clears throat> and so we see Peter's first response was to rebuke Jesus because what Jesus was saying just didn't sound right. It didn't feel right. It didn't feel good. And so he tried to impose his sense of what was right on Jesus. Be careful of that because if we're not careful, we can impose our sense of right on Jesus. And we are wrapped up in our culture and what our culture feels is right and wrong. And we live in a culture that is willingly throwing away the words of God and saying, but God is in favor of this, and using their own ways of defining and determining what is right based on what they feel rather than what God does. And what Peter is saying, people do. So we try to impose our sense of right on what Jesus is doing, and even to rebuke Jesus and what he says. That's the first of the four. The next of the four is Matthew 17, 9 to 12. This is Peter, James, and John coming down from the mountain with Jesus. And uh, <laughs> this, is, this is funny when you look at their, what Jesus says and what their response is, right? Peter, James, and John change the subject, right? Uh, they're coming down the mountain. Uh, let me read this, 17, 9 through 12. Uh, when they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, Why then did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? <laughs> right? Jesus has just told you, Don't tell me about this till I rise from the dead. And they say, Well, tell us about Elijah. <laughs> well, I mean, Elijah makes sense because he was up on the mountain with them, and <clears throat> they're going, Okay, what, what does he have to fit in? <clears throat> and he says, and he answers their question. He says, Elijah's coming and will restore all things. And uh, he explains these things to them. But, but they change the subject. Uh, and, and you go, why would they do this? And, and by the way, Mark, because this does have a companion passage in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, adds just a little bit to it. If you want to know the difference between, between Mark and Matthew, Matthew tells more things, but Mark tells them better. 
Okay, that, that's, that's just Mark's a better storyteller than Matthew. Uh, but, uh, so there's a coming down from the mountain in Mark chapter 9, verse 9. As they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose up from the dead. Listen to this. This is the way it says it in my New American Standard. They seized upon that statement. <laughs> Discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant, and they asked him, why is it the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And so listen to what it did. He, they says they talked with each other about rising from the dead meant, but they asked Jesus about Elijah. <coughs> Excuse me. Now that's interesting. Uh, they didn't want to talk to Jesus about this rising from the dead thing. They, 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 they didn't take that to him. They were willing to talk with each other about it, but they didn't want to talk to Jesus about it. Uh, you know, we do that kind of thing for a lot of reasons. Change the subject, right? Uh, some, something comes up and it's uncomfortable. Someone comes in and they're talking politics and they're talking about this, that, and you go, okay, I'm not comfortable with where this is going. So you say, uh, you know, they're talking about the Second Amendment. And you change the subject. You go, my grandpa had this cool old hunting rifle. <laughs> and it's enough on the subject that you can say it sprung out of there, but you're moving the subject away from, you know, where it was because you weren't comfortable with that. Or if you happen to be a Democrat in Lincoln County, no, sorry, <laughs> that's really bad. Okay, um, if uh, you know, we, we change the subject when we're uncomfortable with it, and we usually, if if, if and we try to do it right. Am I, for, for, I, I? We try to do it in a way that's subtle enough that people don't realize we're doing it, right? Now, you're in a conversation, and someone comes in and they change the subject. You realize they're trying to change the subject but you go along with it because you see what they're trying to do and you're okay with that, right? And so you pretend, that, but you know what they're doing because, I'm sorry, we're not that clever. You know, we're more obvious than we think and what we think we're really clever because they let us get along with it. But remember what you did when you were on the other side of that, you know, sorry, I talk fast sometimes. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're changing the subject. But he says they spoke with each other about rising from the dead. These guys were okay talking with each other about it. But Jesus is there who actually knows the answer. So they're speculating what he means by these things he's saying. And Jesus was right there, and they're not asking him, even though he's the one that's saying them. If anyone understands the right answer, it's him. But they speculate with him, and then they ask him about Elijah, which is entirely a different subject. They changed the subject from where they were. Why don't they ask him? And the answer is because he probably, I mean, probably, he would have just told them the same thing again. And they've already decided they don't believe it means what it says. They've decided it has to mean something else because it can't mean what it says because I can't handle that. I don't like it. I want it to mean something else. I won't accept that. It must mean something. And then, whatever they're doing with this whole arrest and death and resurrection thing, they're translating it into something else because otherwise they wouldn't have been surprised. But they were surprised. So we know that they're turning it into something else and we don't know what it is, but they're not accepting the things Jesus says. And he's saying it so clearly, it's like they can't ask him again because he'll just tell us the same thing again. And so they're happier with their speculation than they are 
with getting the correct, true answer. They probably didn't think the straight answer was the real answer, so they're busy, they're busy trying to figure out the real meaning behind what's being said. And the real meaning is what's being said. So, so in the first one, Peter rebukes Jesus. And in the second one, Peter, James, and John change the subject. In the third one, Matthew 17, 22, and 23, they're grieved. But guess what? We're going to come back and get a little bit more of that one in the Gospel of Mark 2. So if you want to keep your fingers in Mark, if it's not too late. Uh, they're grieved. Uh, Matthew 17, 22 to 23. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be handed over to men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised the third day. And they were deeply grieved. But if we go to the Gospel of Mark, we get chapter nine, still chapter 9, verses 30 and 31. And they were, went out and began to go through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know about it, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be handed over to men. They will kill him. When he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. See, Matthew just says they were grieved. This one says they didn't understand, and they were afraid to ask him. They hear it. They know it sounds bad. Whatever this is, it's bad. It can't mean what it says, but whatever it is, it's bad. Even if it's just symbolic, it's bad, and they're grieved. They don't like what they're hearing, but they still, they're afraid to ask. They, they don't want to ask him. And, and is it because Jesus was so scary? I mean, was Jesus going around intimidating and terrifying his disciples all the time? Because I kind of don't think so. I mean, they, they were terrified, for instance, when he calmed the storm, and they go, who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? But I think most of the time, that wasn't the attitude they walked around with. But they're afraid to ask him. They don't want to ask him again, I think, when he keeps giving the same answer using the same words. And the problem wasn't that they couldn't understand, but they did not want to accept. What are they doing? They are, they are walking with Jesus. He's telling them the truth. They're hearing the answers. and they, 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 he, he could give them the answers, but they're not going to him. You know what I picture? The Heisman Trophy. <laughs> Football over here, running like this, this handout, keep that guy away from me. They're doing that to Jesus. They're keeping him away from them. They're taking their questions to each other. They don't want to go to him. I want to tell you something. We do that to God all the time. You want to know, you ever, you ever feel like, God, where are you? Why do you seem so far away off? God is up there saying, because you don't let me close. You've got that arm out there. You're keeping me away. You're holding me off. You're not letting me come in. And what is it? It's about things that we don't want to accept. Behaviors we don't want to change. Right? Uh, scripture that says something so clearly, but we don't like it. So, so you know, we, we, we want, want it. It's like, how long can you be a Christian before you can still plead ignorance? Because <laughs> there, there is a period of time, right? There is a period of time where, where you don't know. But after a while, if you don't know, is it not your fault that you don't know? Right? It's like, 
You're excused for a while. There's a learning process that you're allowed. But if it's been seven years, and you say, well, I don't know. I don't know scripture that well. I'm sorry, three years and the disciples flipped, turned the world upside down, right? Uh, seven years is, don't, don't go hiding behind that. Don't go hiding behind that. You don't get to be a baby Christian for life. And, and we do that, but we do that we, we, because I know if I read God's word, he's going to want me to, or if I listen to God's word, or if I know God's word, he's going to want things of me and I don't want to be responsible for them, so I'm just going to not learn them. And we hang on to ignorance, or, which is what the disciples are doing. Or we say, I'm happy with my understanding about this. Don't confuse me with scripture. <laughs> and they're holding Jesus off. And that's what we do. I want to say in the nicest way that we're hypocrites. <laughs> I want to say it nice because I'm a hypocrite too. Welcome to the club. And, but even though I want to say it in the nicest way, I need to say it because it's true. And the, and the answer, the answer to actually understand and know the truth is to accept God means what he says. It's a shocking concept. The disciples are not getting it. So we have three things now. They rebuke Jesus. They didn't want to talk about it with Jesus. And it makes them feel bad. Right? Matthew 6, 23, 31 to 33. Back in Matthew. The fourth of those ten responses that he actually, we see the disciples responding. Matthew chapter 26, 31 to 33. Peter. <laughs> then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away from me because of because of me. You all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter replied to him and said, Not me. <laughs> I'm tonight's the night. And after I've been raised, I'll see you in Galilee. I'm not gonna fall. Peter, do you think this is about you? Instead of looking at what Jesus has just said is about to happen right now to him, Peter says, well, I won't fall away. And he, he acts like it's about him. Jesus is about to be arrested, crucified, and rise again. And Peter says, I won't fall away. You've got to be kidding me. Peter's instead talking about, and this, this is, this is the tenth of the ten, right? Ten times Jesus has told him what's going to happen, and Peter should be focusing on Jesus and what he's doing. He's got absolutely no excuse, but instead Peter's thinking about his own faithfulness, which is not nearly so well as he thinks it is, and he's ignoring what Jesus is saying. Uh, he, what he hears, here's what he, Peter hears. Wah, 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 you will fall away. <laughs> Right? Because Peter's already decided he's not going to listen to that part because it doesn't make any sense and he doesn't understand it. So he's just going to leave that alone. But he'll listen to this part because he understands that. Because that part's about Peter. But all that other stuff, that's deep theology. That's, that's for the scholars. That's for, you know, for, but <laughs> it's not. It's for everybody. 
And so Peter it completely ignores all the part he doesn't like and listens to the part he does like, or not the, the, the part that's easy, easier to understand that, that applies to him. And he says, well, that's not true of me. He's actually denying him again, ignoring half and denying the other half. And, and, and here we are. He responds to the challenge with pride, ignoring the sin and death of his Savior that's about to happen. So here we are with how the disciples responded to Jesus' teaching about his death and resurrection. They rebuked him because they didn't like it. They changed the subject because they weren't comfortable with it. It made them feel bad, and they ignored it. That's what they ended up doing with such clear teaching. So, so I want to talk about convenient conclusions. Okay, first of all, we have to accept, in spite of all this, that the disciples were surprised by the resurrection. Right? If, you, if you don't understand that, be here in two weeks. <laughs> uh, they were surprised by the resurrection. And they should not have been. Two days before, I mean, two days before, I don't know how you can get beyond that. Two days before, he said, in two days it's going to happen. I, it's like, I can count to two. <laughs> can you count to two? I can count to two. He spoke of his death at dinner the night he was arrested, right? And when it happened, they didn't understand. And when he rose again, they didn't believe it. Couldn't be someone stole his body. Why were they surprised? They should not have been surprised, but they were surprised. And it's not that they hadn't been told, but they had not believed what they had been told. It's only the single most important event of all history, right? That's all. And they weren't prepared because they didn't believe. They didn't like it. It wasn't convenient. It didn't fit what they wanted or expected. So they didn't believe, right? Application one, two applications here. Don't play games with God's word telling him what you will and won't believe. God, this part I'm willing to accept, that part I'm going to retranslate and reinterpret because I'm not comfortable with it. You do not tell him. He tells you. Okay? Don't look for allegories. Don't look for symbolic meanings. Don't look for weird applications. Accept what it says. It's pretty straightforward. We don't tell God. He tells us. And he generally doesn't speak in riddles. You can say, well, I don't understand this part of Revelation. Okay, I'll give you that. Come see me. I'll explain it to you. <laughs> but he generally doesn't speak in riddles. He's pretty straightforward. That's application one, is, is accept God's word at face value. Application two, don't play games with your own salvation. Don't play games with your own salvation, thinking that there's some other way than what he says. Right? People, people all over the world... No, people who call themselves Christians all over the world know exactly what he says. They go to church and they say there is, they hear there is no other name under salvation, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And they say, yeah, but I'm not that bad. <laughs> what are they doing? They're playing games with God's word because they don't like what it says. It makes them uncomfortable. They're going to hold him off at arm's length because they don't like where it's going. They're comfortable with this much. They'll take this much God, but not that much God. God, you stay over there in your lane. And, and we'll be fine. 
John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And I already said Acts 4, 12, there is none other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And God is speaking clearly. And if by any chance, I know I say this to the same audience week after week, not, not every week, but you know, God is speaking clearly. If there's any confusion over this issue of how you get to heaven, it is not caused by God. It is you and your willingness to accept what he has clearly said. You're in good company. Twelve disciples, <laughs> ten times. I don't get it. But they weren't ready when he rose. They should have been there. They should have been sitting there with their folding chairs, right? Cup of coffee. John, John, Pastor John would have been drinking tea, but we'd have set him over there. <laughs> Rest of us with our coffee, like real men. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. Uh, I know, but he'll, he'll listen. <laughs> You'll listen, I know. <laughs> he might not, I don't know. <laughs> Fact is, they should have been there. They should have been looking for it. They should have been expecting it. The confusion was not caused by him. It was caused by them. Any Confusion, I want to bring it back to salvation. I don't want to end on a joke. I want to end on a serious note. If you have thought you have some other way that you might get to heaven, if you, you have thought that, that these things we're saying are confusing or, bo or bothersome or annoying, or try this one, if I do that, it means too much for me. You say, I'm going to accept this much God, and you're holding him off. Okay? Get over that. His words mean what they say. And just like we're talking about here, the most important event in all of human history, we're talking about the most important event in your life is, is how you get to heaven and when you make that decision to go there. If you haven't done that yet, I want to encourage you to do that now. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Lord, as we've looked at you and your crucifixion so many times today, Lord, we don't see just the fact, although we believe the fact, we see the need for the fact, we see the meaning of the fact that our salvation and our place in eternity depends on what you did on that cross. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did it. Lord Jesus, I ask if there is anyone here today who has not trusted you as Savior, you would give them the courage and the boldness to ask you now, to seek you and to embrace you. I ask in Jesus' name.